We're living in really difficult times uh, where um, people are becoming more and more concerned about responsibility and what they buy. Hi, and welcome to Deep Insights. I'm Gerard Peter, Senior Editor at Mining Review Africa. This week, Senior Deputy Editor Chantal Kotzer speaks to MindSpider founder and CEO Nathan Williams about how blockchain is increasingly being used in the mining sector to provide assurance, transparency, and traceability within the raw material supply chain. We also take a closer look at the MindSpider blockchain protocol for responsible raw material tracking and the all-source due diligence product, an application built on top of the MindSpider blockchain. Let's join the discussion now. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for joining me today to unpack the use of blockchain in the responsible sourcing of mined raw materials. It's a pleasure to be here today, Shanta. Thank you. So, Nathan, before we get into our discussion, um, just for some context, our listeners may not be that familiar with the concept of blockchain and its uses in the mining sector. So could we kick off today's discussion by unpacking what blockchain is and how it can be used as a tool to increase transparency in the raw mineral supply chain? A lot of people, when they hear blockchain, they think of Bitcoin or they think of cryptocurrencies. Um, but what blockchain is, is actually the technology that powers that, uh, 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 that sector. Um, essentially, it's a way for computers to create unique digital items. And if you think of a digital item, you'll think of a movie or a sound file, right? That can be copied a million times. But with blockchain, you can know which one of those million copies is legitimate and which ones are uh, copies or duplicates. This allows them to store value. And that's how sort of Bitcoin uh, is able to store financial value. And what we do is we use this technology to create unique certificates that can't be, can't be copied so that you can see which ones are the originals and, uh, and then assign, uh, make sure that they don't change and assign them to uh, represent uh, certain masses of material or uh, information about uh, about companies along a supply chain. Um, the way it works essentially is instead of a database sitting on one computer that has records of uh, uh, of the origin of materials or or, or, or financial records or, or whatever it is, a blockchain copies that database to thousands of computers who all vote on what the true version of events are. And so it makes it very difficult to change uh, the data in this blockchain because you have to convince a majority of the computers participating to change the data at the same time. It makes it very resilient. And if you wanna get a little more technical, the way it works is if you think about how a bank account works, it's a, it's a never ending ledger of transactions. I send money to you, you send money to someone else. Um, what a blockchain does in order to secure this data and make it uh, unique, make it, uh, make it unchangeable, is they break that never ending set of transactions down into blocks of say 4,000 transactions at a time. 
Then what they do is they secure those blocks uh, so that they can't be changed and link them together in a chain uh, so that if you try to change a transaction on your computer in one block, you have to change every one that comes after it. Uh, and, and so this adds a lot of security because of the, the way they link these blocks together and the way all of these computers need to vote on which, the, uh, which is the next block in this chain. Um, so when you have these list of transactions like a, like a bank account, usually if you think of a bank account, you'll also think of memo fields that are in every transaction. And so what you can do with that is you can put in very small bits of data, like encoded versions of these certificates that we make, for example. And so if I put an encoded version of a certificate uh, uh, into a memo field of a transaction in the blockchain, then all you would have to do to know which, uh, which is the real certificate and which is the copy is to compare the encoded ver uh, version that's in the blockchain with the uh, with an encoded version that you you make on the spot of the of the certificate you have, and if they match up, then it's the real one, and if they don't, then uh, then it's a copy. And so, in this way, if we start putting data in the certificate, like um, this metal came from this mine uh, on this date, and this person signed off on it, and it had this purity, then you can always know that the, that it lines up with your certificate and your certificate lines up with the blockchain so that that data is unchangeable. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yes, it does. <laughs> so what's useful about this sort of process is that there are a lot of different use cases for when you would want to have a true version of events. And it's usually when there are actors in a supply chain who don't necessarily trust each other, like competitors that need to start sharing data. Um, if you're in the mining industry, you might have regulations for importing metal into Europe, for example, and you need to demonstrate that you know that it comes from your suppliers and it didn't actually come from a, a conflict mine that uses forced labor or, 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 or other human rights abuses or environmental abuses. And how, how can you know that? Well, if people provide you certificates, that gives you a good idea. And then you may, might have a chain of custody that, that links what you've received uh, all, and data that comes with that metal all the way back to the point of origin. And so that, that can be very useful for, uh, uh, for all of these upcoming regulations. But there are other uses too. Um, uh, everything from uh, looking at finances uh, in the mining industry to uh, identifying who are the, uh, uh, the key players or what are the more efficient routes or even managing documents to make it easier to import and export. Great, Nathan. So tracking of minerals in the supply chain isn't new. It has been done for a number of years. But can you tell us why the importance of sustainable sourcing of raw materials has come to the fore in recent years? I think that it, it, it's a combination of, uh, of things going on. First of all, we're living in really difficult times uh, where um, people are becoming more and more concerned about responsibility and what they buy, uh, especially with uh, the, uh, the increasing uh, urgency of addressing things like uh, uh, like the climate crisis, and uh, and wanting to have carbon emissions data on what we buy, um, especially because uh, 
uh, there have been uh, high profile scandals of, uh, of companies not knowing what's going on in their supply chain and then it coming into, uh, into the news media. And uh, both the companies who are the subject of those investigations and, the, and their customers want to be able to control this because this is a big systemic problem that is, uh, is difficult to address. Um, and with the blockchain technology coming into the forefront of people's minds ever since 2017, people have said, well, maybe this is a tool that can make it easier because supply chains and, and by extension, larger scale value chains are very complicated and difficult to navigate. And having a, having a tool where every player can contribute a little bit to it uh, and provide their own data in a secure way can add up to give a, a, a more complete picture to uh, regulators, to uh, companies that are participating in the supply chain. And, and, and there's a lot of promise to be able to uh, control both supply and market access. And, uh, and this can be a very um, key moment for us to sort of shift how an industry works. Great. So you explained a bit earlier what blockchain is and how it can be used. And we do know now that it differs from conventional supply chain tracking. But can you tell me more about um, what makes blockchain superior to the existing methods currently used for mineral supply tracking? Well, one thing I'd just like to highlight is uh, blockchain is an underpinning technology like the internet. And on top of the internet, we've built apps, right? And every app does something a little bit different. And in the same way, blockchain, uh, blockchain is a powerful infrastructure and way of approaching uh, traceability, but there are different apps that you can build or different pieces of data or use cases that you can build on top of it. And so I can run through uh, a couple of different options. Um, but uh, it, it just to, there's not a one size fits all blockchain, I guess. Okay. Um, the, the first thing to keep in mind is efficiency, right? So if you've got electronic uh, methods of securing data and transferring data and seeing data, that's always gonna be more efficient than paper because more people can see it at once. Um, you have instantaneous uh, uh, linkages made uh, it, it, it just is a, uh, a faster, more robust way of doing things. The problem that has been in the past with doing electronic data transfer is that you have to trust everyone in the supply chain. So for example, if you were a downstream manufacturer manufacturing cars or manufacturing electronic components, what you would get from your suppliers is uh, essentially an Excel sheet that says, we got our metals uh, through the supply chain from these 10, 20, or uh, 30 different uh, mineral smelters that came from these areas of the world. And that's not a lot of uh, granularity of data. You don't see, um, you don't see uh, what paths they took. You don't see what everyone in between in those uh, supply chains uh, has as in terms of policies for human rights or how they deal with the metals. And you have no real assurance that someone didn't manipulate that data to, uh, to make themselves look better, 
right? Like, uh, it, like if it's an Excel sheet, I can just go in and edit it because it just exists on my computer and then I send it via email. The difference with a blockchain is number one, if you get different players along the supply chain to start adding in data on their own independently, then you have a better granularity of data and you can say, okay, well now I, uh, I not only have uh, who's in my supply chain, I sort of see the paths that it took and when this data was put in and, and who contributed to the different parts. It's harder for one person to manipulate. And then the second piece is that because this data is what we call immutable or very difficult to change, um, if someone enters data that has like third-party assurance or comes off of their uh, comes off of their internal uh, database management system, you know that it's not just going to be like two sets of books. It's uh, it, it's more difficult for people to fake the data along the uh, along the way. So you have a better assurance that uh, at very least who is signing off that this data is correct. Um, and then if you look at uh, even the the upstream, the mine, mine to smelter or smelter to exporter, these are areas where having um, having a digital record of the of that chain of custody uh, can it can give assurance uh, against certain supply chain risks. Okay, so if you're, for example, getting all your metal from Canada, and you know all of your suppliers firsthand, that's great. And there, and you might not have specific risk uh, of uh, financing terror activities because just the institutions in Canada would pre uh, prevent that. But if you're uh, maybe in other areas of the world, then there are specific risks of uh, uh, of maybe regulations being flouted because you don't have the same levels of institutional control to manage it. And so uh, if you're thinking maybe in some areas uh, you'll have uh, terror groups or uh, uh, other armed conflict that might be being funded by uh, by the metals trade, then you can say, well, how could we detect that? How can we incorporate that data into our chain of custody? And how could we uh, have a digital record so that uh, we have assurance that the incidents have, have not been detected by the downstream? Does that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely, Nathan. So my next question is really based on something that you alluded to earlier, and that is how much information can actually be stored on a single blockchain. Is there a limit to this, Nathan? Well, I mean, there's a limit to everything theoretically, but there's always ways of expanding it, right? So the, the blockchain itself is not meant to store mass massive amounts of data with a couple of exceptions there are some people that are working on blockchain that is specifically meant to store masses amount of data but th that's sort of the exception okay. um but the way that you do it is you often will will store data in a in a different cloud server encrypted and then uh, with that encrypted uh, encryption you make what's called a hash a hash is essentially a 256 letter unique code that um, that is a, a result of encrypting this data. And if that, it's the way Google stores your password, for example. These hashes are what are called one-way encryptions. It just means that if I give you a hash, you can't unencrypt it and get the original data out like you could with, uh, uh, with a two-way encryption. And so by storing this little code in the blockchain, it can secure a much larger set of data. And I'll give you an example. With a hash, if you put in one letter, 
the letter A, you get a 256 letter code out. If you put in the entire works of Shakespeare, you also get a 256 letter code out. But if you change even one exclamation point or one letter in the uh, complete works of Shakespeare, you get a completely different code, uh, 256 letter code out. So what you can do is you have an encrypted data certificate, right? Uh, maybe it has your ISO certification in it. Uh, or maybe it has uh, information about uh, a ton of, uh, of metal in a pallet uh, linked with a QR code. If that encrypted certificate is hashed and the hash is stored on the blockchain, what you can do is rehash that certificate and compare it to what's stored on the blockchain. As long as those two line up, you have pretty much 100% uh, assurance that the the data is original it's authentic and it has not changed and so by in this way you can actually scale the data stored on the uh, stored or secured by by the blockchain uh, uh unlimited to unlimited potential wow very very interesting and very dynamic in terms of how blockchain can actually be used we hope that you've enjoyed the discussion so far we will continue our conversation with Nathan after this short message. It will never be the same. The new normal is business unusual. At Mining Review Africa, we want to partner with you to ensure that your brand is still visible in these unprecedented times. That's why we're offering you a bouquet of digital marketing choices to ensure that your company is still top of mind with your clients. This includes podcasts, partner profiles, videos, and webinars. Want to know more? Click on the Engage tab on miningreview.com today to find out how we can give you more bang for your digital buck. Welcome back to Deep Insights. We are in conversation with Nathan Williams, founder and CEO of MindSpider, about the use of blockchain in the raw material supply chain. Let's rejoin the conversation. Can you run me through the MindSpider blockchain protocol and the all-source due diligence product and how those two work together to ensure transparency within the raw material supply chain? Absolutely. So again, I, I like to explain the blockchain a little bit. It's a little bit like the internet and all-source is the app that we've built on top of it. Okay. So the, the MindSpider blockchain is... Uh, essentially a system for linking together digital certificates. Anyone in the supply chain can create a, uh, a digital certificate and put in data that they want into those certificates. Uh, and, um, and then they're secured against being changed. The certificate will have three layers. So it's data that's visible publicly. So to anyone who uses the blockchain, data that's visible transparently to members of the same supply chain, but not to, for example, competitors or the general public, and then data that's visible privately. So only to the data owner. And you would put data that needs to be visible publicly in the public layer. And this would be things uh, such as um, uh, identifiers for, uh, for, for, the, for the company that's uh, creating the certificate or other information such as uh, tonnage of metal or things that um, everyone would need to see in order to be sure that that certificate is not changed. In the transparency layer, you would put data that needs to be communicated up the supply chain, such as um, a, a chain of custody information, uh, other due diligence information, uh, 
information about the uh, the certifications that have gone into uh, a material or to the the companies and then in the private layer you might put in uh, things that need to be shown to regulators but shouldn't be immediately accessible but need to be provable that they've been recorded and unchanged so this could be things like financial data uh, for anti-corruption measures uh, th things that might be trade secrets things like that and so and, and so by arranging the data in this way uh, if you were to create a certificate or if I were to create a certificate, I could then link those certificates together and say, well, you're my supplier, you're my customer. You sent me uh, uh, a ton of metal. If you send me a ton of metal, we would create a certificate and it would act like a two-sided invoice and link to your account, my account and have a QR code that gets printed on the metal. Um, and, and so this is the protocol itself. Uh, everything is thought of in terms of certificates. Now, OrSource is what we are currently testing with Luna Smelter. Um, it, uh, was, it received funding from uh, EIT Raw Materials. And what we are uh, doing is essentially gathering the data that is necessary to import metal into Europe. So there is a EU conflict minerals regulation that's coming into force in January 2021. And the, it, re, it requires importers to do due diligence on certain materials uh, in order to demonstrate that they know where they come from and the, uh, do they come from a conflict-affected or high-risk area. And they don't define what a conflict-affected or high-risk area is. That's on the companies to prove. And so these companies are going to need data to say, yes, this is a conflict-affected or high-risk area, or no, it is not, and here's why. And this data needs to be included in the sale of the material because especially most companies don't have the resources to start sending people into South America, Africa, Southeast Asia, wherever um, uh, to, to check up on where this material is coming from. So it would be very helpful to have this information included in uh, when you purchase the material. And so what we do is we attach a QR code uh, that can be scanned and, uh, and, and then provides uh, this data at a glance. And uh, it's collected at, uh, at the smelter level. And, uh, and that's sort of the idea is that it's, uh, it's secured, it's, it's there, and then the companies can conduct their due diligence and say, yes, we're uh, compliant with these laws. Um, and our vision in the future is uh, as we are testing this, seeing uh, what data can be included, what the challenges are, adjust for it. It'll be uh, ready to roll out very soon. And then we can start adding in other supply chain participants, linking them together so that in addition to just having this data um, and, uh, and this value add for the importers, we'll also have uh, the ability to link them together and get, uh, get the provenance data as well and, uh, and the supply chain history. And so this can uh, add into a lot of other use cases, such as uh, what's needed in order to uh, sell on certain exchanges or, uh, uh, or what's needed to improve um, efficiency and, and logistics in the supply chain or to gather uh, additional data. So once you have those supply chain maps, you can always add more and more robust data later. Okay, I see, I see. It's a very exciting pilot project that you are doing with Luna Smelter. 
Um, but can you tell me a bit more about what you've learned in terms of the functionality of AllSource so far, and if you've reached any outcomes to date? Well, absolutely. So AllSource is sort of the, um, I guess you would say the, the, the next phase of development of some pilot projects that we've been running. And uh, there have there have been a number of pilot projects that uh, that have been run with blockchain and supply chain and they they all have had these challenges of what i would call the consortium effect how do you get a bunch of different companies to work together to share data uh, without sacrificing speed because if you have too many decision makers, it becomes very difficult to get sign-offs, to get um, new players in the supply chain. Uh, if one company decides they don't want to participate, then uh, it can slow down the process or even uh, cause gaps in the chain. And so with OrSource, we were building on that sort of learning that we need to have, um, to get blockchain adoption, we need to have a product that can be delivering value to a single customer. And that even if other companies uh, decide they don't want to participate right away, or if they're slow, that it still de delivers that value, uh, that companies can still use it, still play with it, still get value out of it. And, uh, and then it can always add in more companies al uh, along the chain later. And that was sort of the, the learning and the mentality of this, uh, which is why we wanted to put it in a simple QR code so that if company was, a company wasn't signed up to use blockchain already, they could still scan something and still get the valuable data out of it. If the, uh, if the uh, uh, companies later on in the supply chain uh, wanted to join, then they could always link up to, uh, uh, to be part of this sustainable, responsible supply chain. But if they didn't right away, then it wouldn't affect the ability to transmit this data and to be uh, have that assurance that it's unchanged. And so this is the, the, the big learning that came from, uh, from our first projects. Great, thanks, Nathan. So it seems as though this is quite scalable um, and easy to build on as time goes by. So that leads me to my next question, and that is how you plan on expanding or improving the suites of products going forward. Oh, we've had so much interest uh, for for suites of products. Uh, to be honest, the uh, and the obvious ones are reducing the cost and the burden that is on the upstream. Uh, that's the that's the first thing that we've seen, especially in uh, in areas where mining is prevalent uh, that are. Um, maybe throughout Africa or uh, pretty much everywhere actually has, has this problem that there's a, what's called an audit burden or a mm -hmm. compliance burden that falls on the miners. And uh, these, are, these can be big companies or small companies or individuals. And often they're the most vulnerable people in the supply chain. And when they want to have access to the global market, uh, as these demands increase, for better data, for responsibility data, it becomes a burden on the ones who are responsible and who want to comply. And this provides a, a mismatch of incentives. I mean, if you, if you tell the good guys uh, or, or the guys that are potentially good, hey, we want more and more and more and more and more from you, then they're at a disadvantage compared to the, uh, to the companies that uh, may not care. Mm -hmm. And because they, they just have higher costs or higher efforts. And so I think uh, as a first step, 
finding ways of connecting um, uh, connecting these mineral producers to uh, tracked and uh, responsible supply chains so that they have access to world markets without necessarily an increased burden uh, or, or increase of audits uh, is going to be very helpful. The second thing is we always want to look at document management, how we can uh, in, uh, increase the speed at which uh, material can uh, clear customs or uh, be registered in, in different exchanges. This is always valuable because it increases efficiency and provides direct benefit to everyone. Um, and the third thing, and we're seeing this more and more, uh, for better or for worse, we're entering into a time when companies are becoming more conscious about uh, supply chain disruptions right? Um, we've had 2020 with uh, the Corona crisis and m companies that have really complex supply chains may have found that uh, a number of their products are being routed through one particular region in the world. And if there's a pandemic uh, that starts in that region, then it can actually disrupt their entire supply chain because they're inadvertently sourcing from this one region. Um, and in it, at the same time, in a, in a very similar vein, uh, we have the rise of uh, the European uh, Raw Materials Alliance and uh, similar um, concerns within the UK that they want to have ac continued access to raw materials that might not exist in the region. And if they're all being run through one country, then there may be geopolitical reasons that they, they're concerned that they're dependent on that country. And so uh, I think that as we go forward uh, into 2021 and 2022, uh, all countries are going to be, and, and large industries as well, are going to be more interested in seeing what regions they're sourcing from and making sure they have a diversity of regions so they're not at risk of having a supply chain disruption. Great, thank you so much, Nathan. I'm really keen on hearing more about blockchain and all sourcing particularly going forward. Um, I do believe that it'll have a big impact on raw materials exiting Africa and possibly entering the European market. So I'll definitely be following this story much closer going forward. Thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, Chantel. It was a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to our weekly podcast, which is available on all popular platforms. Give us a five-star rating and share deep insights with your social network. Also, log on to miningreview.com to access our webinars, videos, industry insights, and the latest mining news. Until next week, goodbye and stay safe.